daydreaming is nice. Um, it's not an encouragement to try that out tonight. You don't need more practice at it. I'm sure you've had plenty of practice in uni lectures or while you're at work trying to work away on some boring report. Uh, your mind slips off into a daydream, uh, thinking about, as the Corona ad says, from where you'd rather be. Uh, that's where my mind goes a lot of the time because I really would rather be there with the surf pumping, with friends around the sunshine. Daydreaming is pleasant. Uh, I think lots of us in New Zealand actually want to live the whole of life in that daydream state. We want to disconnect from the world, which is hard with responsibility and it takes energy and time. We'd rather be in that daydream world where we have no responsibility, where we're just pottering along with our nice little to-do lists. We're tramping through the beautiful nature. Uh, We're enjoying our fun little hobbies, escaping into the movie or the TV series. That's the way that we love to live life as if everything is just sweet as, and there's actually nothing to bother us. But then certain events come along and crash into our nice, well-constructed daydreams, crash through our willful, blissful ignorance, and make known to us that there are certain realities of the world around us. So I think of moments like September 11, uh, 15 years ago now, but for those who were alive at that time, or those who have seen the footage since then, the images of the planes crashing into the Twin Towers in the US up That's etched on our minds. That's a world-changing moment. It's a moment that crashes in and reminds us that the world is not peaceful. Or I think of the Christchurch earthquakes. These events that as we're pottering through life, just thinking everything's okay, living in our daydream, something happens like the Christchurch earthquakes and life is turned around. We remember that we're not in control. Or even just yesterday uh, in Sydney, in a regular city shopping centre, there was a man that walked in with a gun and decided he'd shoot three people. This happens. And it breaks through our blissful ignorance and reminds us that the world is not a peaceful place. But then after these events happened, a couple of days, weeks go on, and our news feeds fill up with the more pleasant things again. The rugby scores. That's easy to talk about. The latest episode of The Bachelor and who got the rose this time. Uh, I was in a cafe on Monday um, in Mount Eden and I was sitting next to two Bachelor contestants. Uh, I haven't watched the show, so I'm assuming this from their conversation. I didn't recognise them. But man, it was fascinating to hear them talk about the show and their experiences. Just a totally different world. Um, If you watch The Bachelor... Yeah, no, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Uh, (laughs) But this is the stuff that we fill our lives with. Nice, pleasant stories things that don't have any real grit, they just cause us to step away from the world and enjoy our daydream. But as we come together tonight, God wants to crash into our daydreams and show us a reality that we are at war. That the Christian life is not a walk in the park on a cool autumn afternoon. No, we have an enemy who hates us. If you're here tonight as a Christian, someone who trusts in Jesus, you have an enemy who despises you. Our life is lived out on a battlefield. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read from verse 10 to 13. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armour of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Do you notice the three commands that God has for us in these verses? Be strengthened, verse 10. Put on the full armour of God, verse 11. Take up the full armour of God, there in verse 13. Why do we need to do these things? Why do we need armour? Why do we need strength? It's because the Christian life isn't easy. We're engaged in battle with an enemy. And in verse 11, we find out who that enemy is. It's not other people. We're not at war with other humans, either in New Zealand or in other countries, no. Our war is against, verse 11, the devil. We don't know where the devil came from. Some people think that he was one of God's angels who got puffed up with pride and wanted to take on God's position, and so he got kicked out of heaven. Some people think that, and there are a couple of passages in the Old Testament that might lead you that way. I can show you those after the service if you're interested, but I don't think the Bible is actually conclusive that that is the devil's origin. It's actually a lot that we don't know about the devil that I would love to know about, but God has decided that we don't need to know that. So he hasn't made that known in the scriptures. What we do know, as we look at the devil's work throughout the scriptures, throughout history, he has been an enemy of God from the very beginning of humanity. So if we go back to the garden with the first humans, he was the one who was there lying to them, sowing in them the seed of distrust towards God. Did God really say The devil was the one who uh, sought to bring down Job's trust in God. You remember Job in the Old Testament? Uh, He threw Job into all kinds of physical and emotional turmoil to try to turn Job against God, to make Job reject God. The devil again was the one who tried to bring down Jesus' trust. Jesus went out into the wilderness for some 40 days. He was tempted and tried by the devil who tried to twist God's word so that Jesus might not serve others, but selfishly serve himself. And the devil was the one who put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. Four interactions throughout scripture of the devil with humans. And you can see from that quick survey that time and again, the devil has the same goal. He's always shooting for the same thing. His aim is to cause people to distrust God. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He twists God's word so that we might fall back into sin. In Ephesians 6, we find out that the devil is not alone in this task. See, verse 12 really ramps up the intensity of the enemies that are out there arrayed against us as Christians. Verse 12, our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is a serious army that's against us. Back in Ephesians 2, verse 2, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you would have seen this passage. The the devil was called the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. What we're seeing here in chapter 6 is he really is a ruler. He's got other beings underneath him who obey his will, who work with him in his task of bringing humanity to distrust God. Now, this could sound at first really confronting and worrying, and and there is an element of that, but uh, I think what this reminds me of as I read through this is a reality that the devil is not 
God. The devil and God are not on an equal path. Yes, we don't know where the devil came from. We don't know that origin. Um, even if he is an angel who fell, that still puts him on a lower peg than God. This is not a war between equal enemies. And one of the things that comes out about the devil is that although God is present everywhere, the devil is not. Uh, we can fall into language of thinking that the devil is testing me as an individual, and that might be true, uh, but the devil is not himself here in New Zealand at the same time that he's over in America, in the way that God can be in two places at the same time. Uh, the devil is lesser than God. And so the devil and all his array, who we might be fighting in some other particular spiritual power, are not on a par with God. We have a greater power in our corner. And so we'll see as the passage goes on. What do all these spiritual beings, the devil, all his consort, all his posse, what do they want with us? The battle is really between God and the devil, but it's fought out um, about humanity. It's played out in this world as each one of them tries to claim humanity for their own. So you might have come into church tonight thinking that you're an independent person, that you're doing life your own way, following the things that you want to do. Uh, What God's word is telling us is that that's not true. You're not independent. Every human is on one of two sides in this war. You're either on God's side or you're held under the sway of an evil spirit. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 2, we saw this, didn't we? We saw that all people, apart from Jesus, are dead in sin. And they're following along in the ways of the devil, the ways of this ruler of the lower heavens. Now, it's not that those who are on God's side now are somehow better than those who are on the captive to the devil on the devil's side. It's not that we're better people. No, it's just that God, by his grace and mercy, has brought us to trust in Jesus. That's what it takes to change sides, to recognize who Jesus is and decide that you want to trust in him. So if you're here tonight as someone who doesn't yet trust in Jesus, if you're not trusting in God's word, living by what it says, I urge you tonight, change sides. You're not an independent person. You are currently captive to the devil, fighting on the losing side of a war. But you can change sides tonight. Recognize who Jesus is. Acknowledge that he is God in the flesh. Acknowledge that he died and rose to life so that you could be forgiven of your sins. Choose to trust him. Now, you might have questions about that. This sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Big cosmic powers that are warring against each other and we're caught in the midst of a battle. That sounds like a fairy tale. Uh, But I stand here tonight as one who's convinced that this is true. Uh, You might have questions. Come and talk to me afterwards about this. Come along to explaining Christianity that Jerry invited us to earlier. That is a chance to ask your questions. If this is true, you can see that it's serious. If it's not true, then I'd love to know that because my life would be lived differently. But as I say, I stand here convinced tonight that this is not a fairy tale. This is the truth. So I urge you, change sides. Start trusting in Jesus. For those of us who have made that decision to trust in Jesus, life has changed. Uh, We saw last week in Ephesians 4 that we are now God's children, loved by him, who now love like he does with our words, our hearts, our hands. Uh, In Ephesians 5 verse 8, that change is described vividly. Have a look at it there. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. 
So here, that change that we saw last week, the change that we saw the week before as well, death to life, it's, it's cast in the language of this battle. We move from darkness into light. But when that change happens, the, the devil, the powers of darkness, they're not going to let go of us that easy. This is where the battle comes in for us. So the devil is a bit like Richie McCaw. Bear with me on this. I know that you're all like, oh no, how offensive. How can you say that? Richie McCaw, he's our legend. Who, hands up if you don't know who Richie McCaw is. American. Michael, you know Richie, don't you? We'll forgive you, Drew. Uh, welcome to New Zealand. Richie McCaw is the captain of the All Blacks, or was. He's now retired. Yes. Uh, Australia has a chance again. Um, what, what do I mean when I say that Richie McCaw is like these powers? I'm not saying anything bad about him. In fact, I'm being positive about his rugby skills. When I think of Richie McCaw, I think of him as tenacious. Uh, That is, he would get to every breakdown. He was there. He was running after everything. He didn't let anything go easily. He was chasing it down. And once he got his hands on the ball in the breakdown, he wasn't letting go. He was going to pinch that ball or get a penalty called against the other side. Uh, Richie McCaw did not let go of things easily. He chased things down. He was tenacious. That's the picture that we're getting as we look at this spiritual battle that's going on. We've changed sides. We've gone from darkness to light. But now the battle rages as those powers of darkness want to try to bring us back. The devil wants us to fall, to stumble back into the deeds of darkness, that lying, that immoral sex, the gossip, the envy, the greed. The devil wants us to keep stumbling until we turn our backs again on God, until we fall away from trusting Jesus. So that's why throughout Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 13, three times we're told what our goal is, that our goal is to stand. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. Verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist. That word resist could rightly be translated as stand against. It's the same word for stand in the Greek. And having prepared everything to take your stand. And then to really hammer this home, and repetition so powerful, isn't it? Verse 14 starts with the command, stand therefore. So four times we get Paul hammering home to us, what do we need to do? What's our goal? Stand. Because the devil wants us to fall. So have you found that living the Christian life is hard? Maybe that's just me. I trust you've found that the Christian life is hard to live. Have you found it hard to trust God in the bad times? as well as in the good times? Have you found it hard to say no to temptation, to trust God in his commands? Friends, we find those things difficult because we're at war. Life is a battlefield. Now, how will the devil try to cause us to fall? Paul talks about the devil's tactics in verse 12. What are those? At this point, we run into a potential danger. See, I don't know about you, but I've grown up hearing a lot about the devil's tactics. Maybe not a lot, I shouldn't say a lot, but I come into this passage having heard plenty in the past. I read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters while I was studying at university. It's a good book, it's a helpful book, it gives you lots of thoughts about the way the devil works in our world. I grew up in the Salvation Army where everything is kind of constructed around this idea of a battle and heard plenty there. 
It's easy to bring those ideas from the past and bring them into the passage here in Ephesians and think, okay, the devil's tactics, I know what those are, I've heard those before. Or it might not come from things that we've read in the past, it might come from our experience. Perhaps you've had some experience that you've attributed to the devil in the past. Or you've heard people talk about their experiences of being possessed by demons and you think, okay, there's the devil's tactics, that's him at work. All of those things might be true. They might be the devil at work in the world. But as we come to Paul's passage here in Ephesians, we've got to be careful that we don't read in from our experience. The question that we need to ask is, what does Paul have in mind when he writes about the devil's tactics? What's Paul referring to with this phrase? What is he thinking of? And how are we going to answer that question? Well, we're going to look at the rest of the letter of the Ephesians and say, where else has Paul talked about the danger to us? Has he talked anywhere else about what the devil is up to? As you ask that question of Ephesians, two passages come out for you. Ephesians 4 verse 14. Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 14 urges us to grow up, that we might become mature as Christians, so that we're not tossed here and there by every wind and wave of teaching, by false teachers who would lead us away from the truth. Again, in Ephesians 5 verse 6 to 7, Paul's urging us not to fall back into our sinful behaviours and he recognises that there will be people who are trying to deceive us with their empty arguments, encouraging us that, yeah, no, sin's okay. No, that thing, that behaviour that you're doing, oh, look, I know that God's word says it's wrong, but it's not really wrong. You're okay. You'll be fine. Go on living that way. The, the danger that Paul is warning us of is something that's familiar about the devil's work, isn't it? Someone distorting God's word. False teachers coming in and saying, oh, did God really say? I don't really think that that's what God wants for this world. I think maybe you're misunderstanding God. God's God's okay with that sin that's in your life. This is what Paul is warning us of. The devil and all his posse speaking through other people in this world. False teachers or the general voice of society. calling on us to give up our trust in Jesus. To give up trusting Jesus for his promises and his commands and fall back into a life of sin. So that's the tactics of the devil. What shall we do? How do we fight against this? We don't need to have a little stash of holy water in the kitchen that's come from Israel that we've paid $100 for. We don't need a little toolkit that will help us to identify the particular demon that's troubling us and then we can get out our crucifix and cast it out. I tried to get a few people to watch the Mandy Moore movie, Saved, a couple of weeks ago. You're all too young for it, aren't you? But man, it's pretty sad and hilarious to see this scene where Mandy Moore and her friends of high school bundle someone into a van to try to cast out the demon from her. It's like, man, this is what people actually think spiritual warfare is about. It's not what we're encouraged to do here in Ephesians. Here's the summary and then we'll work through it bit by bit. We fight by remembering that we are united with Jesus by praying for God's strength, and by telling others about Jesus. So read with me from verse 14. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is God's word. So God has given us six pieces of armour to wear in this battle. They're on a slide on the screen for you. I would have loved to create a nice picture that has some different um, images of these pieces of armour. I'm not that creative, so you just get a list. It's the mathematician in me. Uh, But jot down those other references, because what we're going to see is that this is the armour that God's given us. And um, we've run into the same temptation that we saw for the devil's tactics. We can come to each of these words and think, oh yeah, I know what truth is. And we can import an understanding into the passage. But we need to come to each one and go, how has Paul used this word throughout Ephesians? And that will help us to understand what this armour is. So the first piece of armour there, truth. Truth has been a key word for Paul throughout this letter of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 13, the message about Jesus as God in the flesh, died and risen to life, it's described as the message of truth. This is the ultimate truth. It's like the heartbeat of the universe. Anything else that's true comes out of this truth that Jesus is God and King. Later on in Ephesians 4 verse 21, the Christian message is described as being taught Jesus. Like Jesus is the course material of your paper. You are taught Jesus because the truth is in Jesus. So first and foremost, to be armed with the truth, to have the truth as a belt around our waist, that's to know who Jesus is and to know the truth that we are united with him. The truth, as we saw two weeks ago in Ephesians 2 that we have been raised with Jesus, that we are seated with him in the heavenly places, far above any other ruler or power in the spiritual realms. See, the devil wants us to forget that. The devil wants us to think that he still has power over us. So we need to remember the truth. The devil is not in power over us. We are seated with Jesus above him. He's like a dog, a vicious dog that's been chained up. The bark is loud and can sound scary. And we need to be alert that the dog's there so that we don't walk too close. But if we keep our distance, the devil's got no claim on us. He's chained up. He can't actually get to us. We are seated above him in the heavenly places. Now, by remembering this truth, we can start to be truth tellers. For truth, in Ephesians 5 verse 9, that was the fruit of the light. So truthfulness is part of our new identity in Jesus. We become like him. There's our first piece of armor, the belt of truth. Second one, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is another word for justice. To do righteous actions is to live in such a way that fits within God's morality, uh, that is just and innocent and fits with the moral order that God's created in this world. Now again, righteousness is an attribute that's tied to our new identity from being united with Jesus. As we're united with Jesus, his righteousness, his justice and innocence, that's credited to us. We are now just as righteous as Jesus is in God's sight. That's how we come to be forgiven. Alongside that, we start to live out this righteous life. So Ephesians 4 verse 24, we're told that we've become a new humanity created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We've been called on to be what we are, to remember the truth that God has united us with Jesus, made us his children, children of light, and to now live as though we are children of light. A third piece of armour now explicitly reminds us of the gospel. Our feet are ready to take us anywhere to speak the gospel of peace. 
we know this truth about Jesus, we'll tell it to others. I want you to notice at this point the word that's used to describe the gospel there, the gospel of peace. This is a theme that's been running through Ephesians that we haven't picked up on in the last two weeks, but it's a pretty key theme. It's there in uh, the second half of Ephesians 2 and the first half of chapter 3. Maybe you've come across that as you've read through Ephesians in your own time through the weeks. Uh, Jesus has brought peace, first of all, between us and God. See, we're in this war between the devil's side and God's side. We were on the enemy side. But Jesus has made a way for us as rebels to come back to the winning side, to be back at peace with God, be reconciled with him. That's pretty amazing. Like, if you've ever been in a fight with someone, you know, that point where you're not really talking to one another, you know that that doesn't feel good. And when you finally get to that point where you apologize, whoever needs to apologize, you, you fix up the relationship, you're back on the right terms with one another, that's like a big sigh of relief. Everything's right again. What a relief to be reconciled to the immortal, all-powerful creator God. The one that you were once an enemy of, but now you have peace with. Jesus brings that gospel of peace. And because all people are now brought back to God in the same way, there's peace amongst humanity as well. In Ephesians 2, there's a problem that Paul's speaking into where the Jews and Gentiles in regular society, they didn't like each other very much. And this is more than Aussies and Kiwis not liking each other. This is more like the Israelis and the Palestinians not liking each other. Uh, Jews would not eat at the house of a Gentile. So that's general society. But what Paul says in Ephesians 2 is that now that you've all come to God in the same way, Jew and Gentile both alike through Jesus, you are united. You have peace with one another. You can stop hating each other and start living together in Jesus. Friends, this is something that is true about us as well. We all come from different backgrounds. We might come from different cultures that don't like one another much outside of, outside of the church, that in general society wouldn't talk to one another. And yet, as we come to church, as we come as people who are all safe in the same way, we have peace amongst ourselves. Now, this is something that the devil will try to stir up. He doesn't want us to stay in this state. He'll try to find any cause of bickering, any bitterness amongst us. He'll try to fan that into flame. Because when churches split, that's a win for the devil. Uh, how many people fall away from their faith in Jesus because of the pain of churches breaking apart? I think this is why in Ephesians 6, Paul's explicit that our, our battle is not with flesh and blood. We're not fighting against other humans. We're particularly not fighting amongst ourselves. Our battle's with the devil. We need to remember the gospel that announces peace. It's our third piece of armor. Fourth one, God has given us the shield of faith. Now, faith is just another word for trust. And so what we've been seeing throughout is that trust, faith, that's at the heart of our relationship with God. That's the means by which we enter into this union with Jesus, the means by which we're raised with him. For the Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 13, and you're starting to see why that verse is up there on the slide, aren't you? It's coming up in a few of these different pieces of armor. Read there that the Ephesians heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and they believed Jesus. That word believe is the same word as faith, trust. They put their trust in Jesus. That's what we need to be saved. This shield is just what we've been saying all along. We need to remember that we're united with Jesus, not because of anything that we've done, 
but just because of Jesus' work. Keep trusting him. Because I can't see the reality that I am raised with Jesus now. I just look like I'm here in Auckland. I can't see it, but I have God's word that tells me it's true. So I need to keep trusting that word. The devil's going to try to undermine that faith just like he did to Adam and Eve. So we need to keep getting to know Jesus, to keep learning that he is trustworthy. God's given us a whole human history of his work within humanity. So we read the Old Testament, that's what we're reading time and time again. God's showing us that he is trustworthy, that he keeps his promises, that what he says he will do. And make sure you're reading the Bible and, and seeing that you can trust God, that he won't let you down. That's our shield of faith. Fifth one, the helmet of salvation. Again, just what we've been seeing throughout. Salvation, that we've been saved. We've been saved from the penalty for our sin, brought from death to life. The message about Jesus speaks of our salvation by God's lavish grace and mercy. We need to keep remembering that. The final one. Kind of move away from armor that's defensive. And we've got a sword now, the sword of the spirit. God's word. Now, what is that? Is it the Bible? I wish that that was what Paul was saying here, because that's what I've been taught for years, and I like it. It's helped me get through life that uh, God's word, the Bible, is our sword for the battle, that we memorize scripture, and that helps us in times of temptation against sin. Uh, There is truth in that. So if I was to look at Matthew 4, where Jesus is tempted by Satan... Jesus responds with verses of scripture that he knows. That's how he answers back to Satan's temptation. So there is truth that by knowing the scriptures and memorizing them, we have good fuel for our fight against Satan. But I don't think that's what Paul's saying here in Ephesians. I think he's saying something a little bit more nuanced. And so we've got to do what we've been doing throughout this passage and letting Paul define his own terms. Uh, How has Paul been using the word, word, throughout Ephesians. Well, in Ephesians 5 verse 26, it's the only other place that Paul has used this particular word for word. Uh, And there he speaks of how Jesus' word has washed us like water and made us clean. I take it there, he's talking about the gospel word, the message of our salvation, the message of truth. The gospel is our weapon. Elsewhere where Paul has talked about the word in Ephesians, well, one of them's up here, the message of truth. Uh, That's the word of truth. This is what he's talking about as our weapon, the gospel. The gospel word that we can speak by God's spirit living in us. This is the word that is wielded by God's life speaking through us. Our sword is the word of truth. God's gospel word. Truth, righteousness, Readiness given by the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, God's gospel word. This is God's armor given for you to wear and stand firm against the devil. The theme's been pretty strong throughout. Remember the gospel of truth. Remember. Remember the gospel of peace, of salvation, the the gospel that you believed and so were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The truth that we need to remember in this fight is that you have been united with Jesus. You're someone who is trusting him. That is the reality. You're raised with him. You're seated with him in the heavens. Remember that and you will stand against the devil. 
Now, there are two practical things that Paul gives us to help us in remembering that truth. The first one, foundationally, is to pray for God's strength. Notice how Paul moves straight into prayer in verse 18. He says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Uh, This whole unit started in verse 10 with Paul urging us to be strong in the Lord with his mighty power. And now he's encouraging us to turn from relying on our own strength because that's what prayer is, isn't it? We turn from thinking, I can do this on my own. And we turn to ask God to help us. Too often I go through a day without doing that. I go through a day just on my own strength. I wake up and I start doing things and it might not be till the night time that I realize, man, no wonder I've found it hard today. I've been trying to do this on my own. And then start the day asking for God's help, asking God to keep me from sin, asking God to remind me of the gospel. Paul wants us to pray for God's strength, to remember that we are utterly dependent on him. Again, at this point, we run into the danger of importing other understandings in. I worked in a Christian bookshop for a couple of years and so many books come through the shelves about intercessory prayer. Engaging in spiritual warfare with particular prayer techniques. You can pray this prayer and and that will fight off this demon. Uh, These are real books out there and people are lapping them up and loving it. But what's Paul urging us to pray for here? Well, Paul's led the way by example. We've got two particular prayers in Ephesians. And it's interesting as you look at the content of those prayers, how well they line up with this passage right at the end. In Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul prays for. He, he prays that we might know the greatness of God's power toward us who believe. That very power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to heaven. In Ephesians 3, Paul's other prayer, he prays that God might strengthen us with power through his spirit, that we might know the love of Christ. Those two prayers... They're the things that we need to be praying for ourselves and for one another every day. Praying that God would strengthen us with his power that we might know the truth. I'll close in a moment by praying those things for us. But before I do, there's one final quick point that will help us to fight and it comes out in what Paul asks, what, what Paul's prayer request is for himself. See verse 19. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. What does Paul want people to pray for him? That he might have the boldness to speak the gospel whenever there's an opportunity. We fight by telling others about Jesus. You can see why the devil might want to stop that from happening. Whenever we tell the gospel to someone and they respond with trust, he loses a captive. They go from darkness to light. They change sides. The the devil wants to keep us from telling others the gospel. That's why we find it hard. And so Paul's response to that difficulty is not to wallow in guilt and go, you can just picture Paul there, can't you? Oh, I'm just not really an evangelist. It's not my gift. That's not what Paul does. I, I struggle at sharing the gospel as well myself. I, I don't want you to go away wallowing in guilt thinking, oh, I missed an opportunity this week. I, I missed three opportunities this past week at least. The response is to pray for boldness. It's what Paul wants prayer for. 
I hope you're okay with God answering that prayer because he will. If you're willing to ask it, God will give you the boldness to speak the gospel. Pray for that. Pray for that for one another. Pray for that for me. We need this boldness that we might tell the gospel as we should. There's the message of Ephesians 6 for us tonight. There's the message that God has for us tonight. Wake up from your daydream. Stop escaping reality in the TV, in movies, from with your corona going to that place where you'd rather be. Wake up. Life is a battlefield. So we fight by remembering that we're united with Jesus, praying for God's strength and telling others about Jesus. Let me pray that for us now.